Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome to Cannabis Talk 101, featuring Blue and Joe Grande, the world's number one source for everything cannabis. Hello and welcome to Cannabis Talk 101, the world's number one source for everything cannabis. My name's Blue, alongside me is Mr. Joe Grande, and you are now tuned in to the greatest cannabis show on the planet. That's right, folks. Thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast all around the world. Make sure you check out the website, CannabisTalk101.com, with so many great articles and blogs on the site for you to check out. And make sure you check the link for the Cannabis Talk magazine, as we have so many great things on that as well. And feel free to give us a call anytime, 1-800-420-1980. And go check out our IG pages at Cannabis Talk 101, my brother from another mother blue is at the number one christopher wright hello i am at joe grande 52 and if you're looking for a trusted cannabis seed at a fair price head to rocketseeds.com or on instagram at rocket underscore seeds our guest on the show today everybody knows him everybody yeah, was screaming man. for him in the building avis is here boy i tell you he's the ceo of Siv- siva 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 nasiva is a national cannabis holding company that offers resources to business across the full supply chain nationwide in accordance with state-by-state laws and regulations, as well as offers support and funding and strategic operation planning. Avis oversees the corporate direction, business development, and strategy of Siva LLC. He facilitates company activity and consulting, alliances and channels, marketing, investments, and operations. He leads the high-caliber team that collectively provides clients with the highest level of support from idea to concept through execution. You guys, I love on the website what the Cushy Punch team had to say about you, which was Avis is one of the smartest individuals we have ever met and had the privilege of working with. He is a pillar in the, of, a, of information for anyone that has the capability to grasp anything he says. He has an in-depth knowledge of the cannabis business and is very well connected with the right people. So many great things like that. Check out the website, SIVALLC.com. Without further ado, give it up for Siva in the building, folks. Avis. Yeah. Thank you. You know, so much you've you've done in this business. Where do you come from? That I mean, and not only that, we just had some other groups <laughs> here. Like, oh my God, he's got all this knowledge. That's the same guy I wanted to talk to my students and this and that. Where are you from, and how did you start this amazing company? So when I started, I started off on the industry side from cultivation, and it's just been one evolution after another. Cultivation led me to manufacturing. Manufacturing led me to retail. Retail led me to state licensing in Massachusetts back in 2012. We were the highest score in the state. We're the only group that got three out of three licenses. So from there, I came back, incorporated as a consulting company, went through all the states from Nevada to New York to Pennsylvania. We're usually the highest scoring uh, applicant group in the state. We're the ones that usually got the highest score in the state. So from there, you network and you get connected with a lot of investors. So that led to a lot of investments. And with application work, what happens is, you're not just filling out a form, you're building a company from the ground up. You're architecting the entire company, everything from the team to the op manuals, to the security plans, to their financing, their financial fitness. And it's just been one evolution after another. After the work in New York, when California was starting off, because of the work we had done and the understanding and the level of understanding we had in all the different markets, I got appointed to the state advisory board in California to advise the three state agencies on the development of California's regulations. Did that for about four years. 
In 2017, I was asked to be the president of the LA Cannabis Task, Task Force. So we were working with the city council and uh, developing the regulations. From there, I had a lot of cities reach out. We helped them develop their ordinances. But we've always been about licensing and just the full full suite of services. You know, Avis, it, you know, it's, is it, this is, you know, Avis and I have known each other for a long time now, you know, and I, I've, I've learned to kind of, you know, watch how a lot of people come in and out of this industry. You're one of those guys that has just been here, very consistent, uh, very trustworthy. A lot of people love the the brand. And, and you know, Avis is actually Silva spelled backwards. No, yeah, Silva's Avis backwards. <laughs> See, ah! Yeah. Did you guys just... I just caught that. Oh, you just, just No, on? I just caught that what you pointed out. No, no. mine are off. I don't know. Oh, you're, oh, I, I yanked myself out. <laughs> you're, you're wondering why you can't hear anything. I was like, why can't I? <laughs> your own headphones. But but you were able to figure out his, his name is the name of the company. That's pretty ironic and strategic, obviously. What made you do that? Or does it stand for something else backwards? No. So when I started, uh, when I incorporated the company, it was after the success in Massachusetts. And there were a lot of articles written. And back then, you didn't have a lot of companies. And I wanted a name that was high up uh, when you were searching any of the directories. And I come from a legal background. Now, I worked in law firms a lot. So the initial name of the company was Bull Bullion Consulting Group. Then as we started evolving. Oh, your last name. Okay. Yeah. So then, well, because of when I searched the terms, my last name was being searched a lot. So then I figured, okay, we're at a point where I have to rebrand it now. And I always wanted to leave behind the legacy that was more than about just me and the, uh, as an individual. But I also wanted something to kind of tie back. So that's when I'm like, okay, we have enough industry recognition. Bull Bullion Consulting Group is a mouthful. Let me cut it short. So that's where we got the SIVA. And kind of like how Amazon's got the Amazon with the arrow going backwards. Mine initially was SIVA with the arrow going from the A back to the S. <laughs> to I'll, let you know, this yeah. is me. Yep. You know, listen, I, I you know, how, how difficult is it, right, and challenging for, one, someone that doesn't have a consultant with them? Because I, I know that's, I, I, I know, but I, I want to get it out to the people because I've, I've actually went through a lot of these challenges and, and the education part of it to the point where it's almost scary because the laws have always changed so much. I mean, throughout the, from, from 12 to now, I mean, you're talking proposition 215 all the way back to legal licensing that still not federally legal. So there's so many different um, loopholes, so many different uh, things you have to wrap your head around. How difficult is it for, you know, the average person to say, Hey, I just want to go get a license one. And then two, the second question would be is, is how you know successful or how hard is it to, I, I mean, how many, successes have you had that you can share with us and fail and also failures sure so to go for a license and all that it can be as difficult as you make it it can be as easy as you make it right with consulting it's really about helping the client organize their ideas that they've already got and try to help them fill in any holes um, that they have now that's more of your broader consulting then you've got very specific stuff where it's like look i want to do a rebrand or i want to do this then you find a consultant that specializes in that for licensing, I think you need a little bit broader of an approach, but it's, it can be as easy or as difficult as you make it to be. You look at the regulations, the regulations are your guide. Sure. There's a saying where laws and regulations are meant for the obedience of fools and guidance for the wise. If you look at the regulations for, for instance, security plan, it specifically tells you what needs to be in your security plan. So now when you contract your security vendor, it's like, hey, these are my requirements. What do I need to fulfill these requirements? A lot of people look at the application as, oh, it's an application. I fill in the blanks. It's not like that. Whenever these states come out with the regulations, there's enough precedent where you know what they're going to ask, uh, ask of you. All the application actually does is tells you how does the state want you to organize your application binder. Sure. They're going to look at your team. Who makes up the team? They're going to look at your financial fitness. If you say it's going to cost me this much money, do you have access to that money? Sure. The state, you got to give that state that warm and fuzzy feeling about your company that you know what you're doing. It comes down to your business model. It comes down to your revenue model. So for us, one of the reasons why we've had a lot of success is you look at Massachusetts. That was one. That was the first state that did a whole merit-based competitive application process. Right. There was about like 800-something applicants. The initial round, they gave out 20 licenses. My group got the, was the only one that got the maximum three out of three licenses. Wow. So out the gate. Congratulations. Man, That's huge. Yeah. 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 So we That's had huge. market share. But the way we did it was... I put myself in the shoes of the regulator. Right. At the time, cannabis, well, obviously still federal legal, but nobody was doing cannabis. Right. What is it? The state's looking at it. It's a drug. It's this. It's that. How do I give them that warm and fuzzy feeling? They're looking at it in, in the sense of like addiction. So we ended up getting one of uh, the most respected uh, addiction specialists in the state to serve sure. on our board. We go to Nevada. You look at cultivation. You look at manufacturing. You look at retail. 
the problem a lot of people have is they look at the license as the business. The license simply authorizes an activity. What activities do you have in your business model that requires you to have a license? A lot of the people that are actually chasing a license have no business owning a license. Hmm, right. You look at manufacturing, for instance. If you're in the business of saying, look, you got look, I got a great idea for a product, be it a vape pen, be it whatever, be it this, right? I've got a great idea for this. I need a manufacturing license to help me manufacture that. But what you don't, what you need to understand is by getting a manufacturing license, you have to deal with compliance. You have to understand the manufacturing process. Right. If I understand the brand, I understand my product, I can represent my product. I can go out and contract with the manufacturer to do what they do best, produce this product for me, and I can take this market, this product to market myself. So now I don't need a license. I don't need to spend hundreds of thousands to get a license. I don't need hundreds of thousands maintaining a license. I can focus on representing my brand. Now you got some people that say, look, I understand the manufacturing process A to Z. I don't have any ideas for a product. I'm not a brand guy. I'm not a product guy. Right. But I can manufacture and I have access to the capital to help these companies launch. So now I can put out a pitch saying, okay, you guys, all of you, here's an opportunity. Give me your business plans. Give me your ideas for a product. I'll manufacture for you. So now you've got a business model and you've got a predictable revenue model. You can charge the customer cost plus 20%. Right. Now you know what you're thinking. The problem is a lot of people go into it thinking, I have a license, I'm in the business of cannabis, but they don't, they're lacking in the business model and the revenue model. You look at a lot of these MSOs, the multi-state operators. They've got 50,000 square feet of manufacturing space. They got hundreds of thousands of square feet of cultivation space to produce one single vape brand, which is their boardroom brand. They go into a boardroom, they come out with a catchy name, they come out with a catchy logo, and that's, it takes more than that to build out a brand. Sure. So when we're going through state licensing, Massachusetts, Maryland, all these states, a cultivation facility has certain needs and requirements. Now, the engineers, the architects, the electricians, all the mechanical engineers, they know Everybody. if you give them the specs, they know how to produce something to your specs. So we tell them, look, for every 2,000 watts, we're going to need one ton of HVAC. This is how much heat it's putting out. This is how much we need to cooling to come in. And the West Coast, you design it differently because in the West Coast, you don't deal with the same kind of uh, cold that right. you deal with the East Coast. So when you give them that criteria, you're learning as much from them as they are from you. Your job, teach them the cannabis side of it. Their job, introduce their traditional side to address the issues that cannabis poses. Right. And as you're going along, you learn about construction, you learn about engineering, you learn about architectural, you learn about finance. When you're talking with the investment group, you're saying, look, these are the things that we need to accomplish. They now start putting together the financial models, but you're working with them to develop the financial models. After you do it a couple of times, you learn that process. You know it, yeah. You know it. So now when you're talking to investors, you understand what the investor's looking for. When you're dealing with the operator, you know what the operator's looking for. It's being able to bridge those two worlds and be able to interpret the each other's the, the, language. The language, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So that's you're basically an interpreter. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Or you know, it comes like, to, yeah. Right. I mean, it, that's what it comes down to. I feel like, I feel like a lot of people come into the space, you know, and, and, you know, one, one of two people, one, it's the one guy that, that just can throw money that don't want to throw money at everything. I'll just throw money at it. Right. And then there's the other guys that are, that are in there that are just trying to, you know, either know it all or try to figure it all out. And I, and I just think that, you know, having, you know, uh, you know, Sylvia, Siva, 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 you know, having Siva on your team, right. And building some kind of a, an understanding that, look, I, I can help you guys because I've already got here. I've already, I've already got the licenses. I've already done it. It just makes it so much easier. I actually have applied and, and failed. You know, uh, I, I applied in, um, in, uh, Hawaii, uh, and I created Hawaii medicinal options with, uh, Senator Jay Kalani English. I went through the whole application process and, and actually I, I, you know, they were, they were breaking it down to, um, they were breaking it down to like a, uh, a level of like one through whatever amount of people. And they gave out, I want to say four licenses or something like that. The first round. And I think we came in number five, which was pretty good for me. Cause I feel like there was like 30 or 50 other people that were, you know, maybe even more than that, that actually applied. But I know we were number five cause it, it came out that way. And we're just like one away. And at the end of the day, like, you know, we had to find the mechanical engineer. We had to find the security team. We had to find the this we, versus somebody that like yourself that like you already have a team of those guys, right? Now you know which one of those guys really can perform because I'm sure you found some of them that are full of shit too. 
that, that they can't perform. And so you've already put the roadmap together, which allows it to be pretty easy for someone to just get their license, correct? Yes, yeah, the complete package. It's a story. It's what is the story that you're telling, yeah. right? At some point, there's only so much you can do with the license. And we're at a point where, see, back then it was a little bit differently, right? Back then you had very few qualified groups that could kind of bring together the whole package. Today you have more qualified groups, but less licenses available. So why should I get it, not you? Why should you get it, not Joe? Sure. It's being able to present that story in a well-rounded, focused way. Wow. If you can do that, if you can present that, that application is your founding story. It's think of it as the full architecture of your entire company from the ground up. Once the state reads it, it's basically, it's kind of like with investments, right? When we go into an investment or when we're representing an investor, you try to find reasons to say no. Right. If you can't find a reason to say no, You're the in. decision becomes pretty easy. Yeah. So it's about playing devil's advocate. Yeah. Everybody's got a winning application until the results come out. You have to go beyond your group and really consider what else can that other person do? We're working Illinois. One of the jurisdictions that we were working, very small community, and then everybody wants to throw money at it, right? Everyone's yeah, going to come yeah, into the application yeah. saying, hey, here's a $50,000 donation to the host community as a host community donation. We went in and said, let's make this a little more impactful. When we did our research, we found out that the 911 program in that community was underfunded, basically when you call 911. And the reason was the tax dollars that go from your landlines go to fund the 911 programs. These days, not a lot Nobody of Nobody had a landline. Nobody's <laughs> yeah, got a landline. Yeah, yeah. So now it's underfunded. For us, for the group, the cost was like $15,000 a year. If I say we're going to donate and contribute to the 911 fund, that's going to be more impactful than somebody coming and saying, here's a $50,000 host community donation. Sure. Most people don't know that a lot of the tax dollars that get generated, all that stuff goes into a general fund. When they talk about police and fire and stuff like that, they barely see any of that money. Right. Adopt a highway kind of stuff. Now, sure. a lot of the stuff's already been kind of done, but it doesn't take much to really come up with a unique way to contribute to the community that you plan on being in. You want to feel like you're a part of the community as much as you want the community to feel like they're a part of your company. Right. One of the things we do is, with groups, we'll set up a community advisory board, right? We'll go out to whatever religious sector is represented, school board that's represented, law, uh, law enforcement, fire. We give them a, a community board seat on the company. It doesn't cost us equity. It doesn't cost us any dollar of financial. But what it does do is it gives a voice to that community. The Big pitches, time. Yeah, pitches, look, if you have a problem with us, you're, you're part of our company. Correct. Come to us directly. And we'll fix it. And we'll fix it for you on the spot. We'll work it out. Those people end up advocating for you and give you letters of support Ooh. and all that stuff for you to be successful. Wow. Not a lot of groups do that. That's huge. This is some serious game, Avis. We're going to come back, take a break real yeah. quick. I know you got 80 licenses alone, if not more, in California. Hear about all these other states because you're nationwide. It's Cannabis Talk 101. You want some more games? Stick around, folks. We'll be right back. Make sure you like, follow, and subscribe to Cannabis Talk 101 now. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. 
If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Now back to the number one cannabis show on the planet. You know what? F*** it. Now back to the number one cannabis show in the universe. Cannabis Talk 101. Kelly Warner from Cannabis Operations to Financial Wealth Management. We got your back. Check them out online at kellywarner.com or on Instagram, Kelly Warner Brands. We're here with Avis. Avis, I just mentioned before we went to break, 80-plus brands alone in Man. California that you got licensed for, hundreds around the country. What are some of the big brands that we'd be like, oh, shit, you helped with that one? So, California, we're over 100. Um, oh, over 100. I'm sorry, I'm just looking at the website. You need to update it. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> the last count, a um, couple of big ones. Um, in Massachusetts, we had medical marijuana in Massachusetts, and they're still there. Um, not to get into their numbers, but they're up there. Oh, really? Um, okay. They're up there. In California, Cushy Punch, uh, one of our clients, we got in there. Yeah, I read that quote at the beginning of the show. That's why I grabbed that. I mean, and not only that, there were so many quotes I could have grabbed from. I mean, that was like four down. I was like, and there was like hundreds. I was like, oh, wow, just Cushy Punch, a big yeah. brand. Stizzy, we did their initial licensing for their initial facility. I never heard of them. Which yeah. one's that one? <laughs> <laughs> the way we go about it is we don't, and this isn't really in the interest of our company, but the way we go about it is it's not, we don't try to create dependency in a client for life. Um, with all of our clients, we've got a phenomenal relationship even to the day from our first client up to the door. You teach them how to fish. This is what we did for you. Learn it here. Go get your right. next one. So after you do enough applications for a company, they've got the SOPs. They understand the process. They understand the game. So they end up bringing incorporating and bringing it all in-house. So Stizzy, we did their initial set of licenses. Now they're doing everything in-house uh, with their general counsel. In Nevada, we had NLV Organics. They ended up exiting to Flower One. Flower One, I think. Now, big public company. And then our client ended up being the... I forgot her uh, specific position, but she basically has got all of Nevada uh, under so, wrap. So it's really just about having them network, introducing them, bringing the, breaking down the concepts that they need to be aware of, and just give them wings and let them fly. Later on, they refer other clients. You get to help them with that. But it's not doing the same work for the same client, and we're good at what we do to a point where uh, I'm proud of being able to say that, look, a client doesn't need us for a very long time. Once we give them the wings... They, that's it. I mean, most of them, right? You've probably done some of them a couple times for them, or do they do that one and that's it? They're, they're pretty much you have it from there. No, we've got a couple of them that we've, uh, we're still working, working on. Yeah, the, the scope of the engagement changes. They'll come to us for licensing. Later on, it'll be, hey, branding, and how do we get into this new market? Can sure. we facilitate a relationship with somebody that you've got in another state? So one of the things that ended up happening over the years is by doing all this work in all the states, we pretty much have a client with a licensed facility in almost every single legal state. So for us, we ended up becoming the common denominator. Around the time COVID happened, a lot of the clients reached out and said, look, we're, we're in great shape, we're profitable, we're good, we're looking to expand, but we're not sure if it's the right opportunity for us to expand. Does it take away from what we have in our state? You've got all the relationships, you're kind of like a common, a common denominator. Right. Can you become an umbrella to kind of absorb all of us in? So it's like everyone's individual success ends up being the success of the overall group, and obviously the overall group ends up being... You, you know, is there is there some of these? I mean, I'm sure you've seen some of these come become ultra successful, right? But you've also seen some of them have to crash, right? So, you know, and 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 is that because of wrong locations, uh, laws changing, or just people's bad operations? You know, all tell the us, above. <laughs> you know, because I, I like to hear about the wins, but also like to hear the losses. Not necessarily yours, but but some of the the companies out there, and maybe yours if you have them, so that we can learn from them. You know, what nots to do. You know, the biggest problem I see right now is people don't have a business model. They don't have a they don't have a re predictable revenue model. They have the license. We're in the business of cannabis. The industry itself is a lot more than just any one license holder, any one license type, or any of the licenses. You have to look at the industry as an ecosystem. You've got the cultivators. You've got the manufacturers. You've got the retailers. You've got the celebrity brands. and You've got the accounts. You've got the lawyers. They're all part of the industry, but none of them on their own make up the industry. The problem a lot of people have that leads to a lot of the failures is 
they get stuck in their own silos. Um, you look at cultivation. I've got a saying. Uh, the only time two growers ever agree on anything is when they agree the third one doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. The plant's got genetics. The three of us can be the best growers in the world. Yeah. We can maximize and optimize the plant, but ultimately the genetics have to take over. There's enough shelf space for the low shelf, the mids, the top shelf. Manufacturing, personally, I think it's the most scalable sector of the industry. You have to look at it. Look, anything that can be consumed can be infused. Go figure out what the customer wants. Right. Don't just be stuck and hung up on vape pens and this stuff. You look at the publicly listed companies, the big MSOs. A lot of them are failing because they're not realistic with what their position is in the space today and what their position in the space is going to be tomorrow. Right. You've got big ones saying, look, we're going to be the largest craft grower uh, at over a million square feet. Well, by definition, you're not a craft grower anymore if you're over a million square feet. The other problem is <laughs> today you're in nine, ten different states. You've got a 500,000, a million square feet set up in every single state. Fast forward a couple of years and you get federal reform. Do you need five, 600,000 square feet in every given state? You don't. Do you need manufacturing? Ooh, that's a big one right there when you say that and you yeah. think about that. Like, wow, you just spent all that money. And now, well, I mean, it could still help because you're putting out a lot of cannabis. But the way you say that, you can still put out a bunch from your one spot once it goes federally legal. That's a big one. I never even thought of that way. Pretty much. You look at the retail side of it. I know publicly listed MSOs. They're in nine different states with 12 different retail brands across nine states. Well, what are you doing? What have you really consolidated? You don't have enough brand equity that you're building in any one of those brands to be able to scale that. They're looking at it. See, the problem is with the analysts that are covering the space, which a lot of them aren't anymore. But the analysts that are covering the space don't understand the interaction between the different arenas to be able to really hold the CEO's feet to the fire and really ask them the tough questions. And the same is true for the board members that are on there. The CEO comes out, oh, we're going to do this. We're investing this much into this state. We're investing this much in this state. But no one's saying, well, why? Right. It serves your purpose today, but what does it do tomorrow? See, think about this. New York, when they first came out, gave out five licenses, then they expanded out another five licenses. You've got license holders that sold for $60, $70 million. Now they're going to roll out another 100-something licenses, 200 licenses. How much is your one license worth? Later on, they're going to say, well, we got federal legalization that solves our problems. Here's the way my take on it. If you can't control and dominate a market where you're the only fish in that market, you're the only fish in that pond, what do you do when you take out interstate commerce restrictions and you've got other brands not coming in? You weren't able to do it by having the moat that you have. So federal legalization is not going to help you. It's actually going to hurt you. Yeah. It's just going to put more people in the... Well, the California brand is going to go in there and crush them all. It's like, what do you mean? Realistically. The problem with the California brands is they're focused on the wrong things. Everybody's complaining about corporate cannabis. Well, show me corporate cannabis in California. If you can't show me corporate cannabis in California, what are they really doing? They're not dominating anything. They're barely surviving. Most of them are exiting the California marketplace. The operators in California are too hung up and focused on the wrong target and wrong opposition to really drive their business and make it successful. What you do you mean? Elaborate on that. Let me explain. When you look at the general politics, the general political environment, and just the general business environment, everyone's pointing the finger at the corporate cannabis, but the glass co- house conversation, yeah. right? Right. That's that literally right. Like, yeah. Oh, they're too. They're doing this. They're doing they're that. Too Everybody's big. focused on that when that's not the problem. Think about like this. It's like find a wildfire with a cup of water. Yeah. No one company has enough water to do anything to that fire. Right now is is the time to stop focusing on who you're up against. Look, if you're not up against this company, you're going to be up against that company. If it's not one, it's the other. What are you doing to establish yourself in the marketplace? See, if you're a San Diego brand, focus on dominating San Diego. Expand out to Orange County. Expand out to LA. Expand out to Central Coast. Expand from a central location. Don't just go, okay, I'm going to spread out throughout the entire state because now you have such a limited quantity of whatever you're producing, you're not going to be able to put a dent in any of the market and you're not going to be able to be recognized in any of the markets, even though California is one state. Sure. California, look, if I'm a company, I would dominate California before I even focus on any other state. Right, you have to. When you look at the regulatory environment in California, as chaotic as it is, that's also where the opportunity is if you can understand it. And with California, you have a lot of brands that are legacy brands. They're so worried about not surviving tomorrow that they're not surviving today. Sure. Take it one day at a time. Put your uh, Set up a stronghold in your state, in your city, in your community. You have to be more than just a brand. It, it doesn't cost. With federal restrictions, you have a lot of restrictions on advertisement. Right. But cannabis is the type of product where you don't necessarily need to spend the type of top dollars to really get to your consumer. Sure. Um, I had a client. 
skateboarder, heavy metal guy um, from Washington and Oregon. He was coming to California to set up a shop. Back when everybody was talking about setting up uh, the Apple store, weed and this, that, this guy comes in and he's like, look, I don't want an Apple store. I'm not targeting the soccer mom. You walk into my store, I want you to hear the heavy metal. I want you to smell the uh, cannabis. This is a pot shop. Right. <laughs> this is for stoners because here's why. My loyal customer base is coming to me once uh, every day. They're coming to me once a week for their purchase. The soccer mom's coming to me once a month, once every two months for one vape pen that's going to last them a month or two. <laughs> I know my customer. When you go into it like that, you're like, okay, on one hand, it is limiting, but on the other hand, it's so much more unlimited as far as you being able to bring, build that brand equity compared to the call it the MedMen with the Apple sure. Store. Here's what people don't understand about the Apple Store. People don't go to an Apple store for the Apple store vibe. They go into the Apple store to purchase an iPad or an, I an Apple product. Yeah. Now you've got all these companies that built the Apple stores without any, any product that would draw in the customer beyond that initial visit. That's it. See, when retail people talk about, I'm like, look, you as a, you want to set up as a retailer. How are you differentiating yourself from other retailers? Well, customer service and it's like, okay, customer service is your bottom line base foundation for you to be a successful business. What about it more? Right. What else? What else? What else about you? Apple store. Okay. There are a lot of Apple stores. There are a lot of dispensaries you can walk into, feel comfortable. That's aesthetically very pleasing. How are you any different than any of them? You know, I, I like the idea of, like you said, man, you know, I, you have to know your audience. And I, I think that a lot of people misconstrue what this industry is about because they think they know business, like just in the, in, like you said, in the Apple store model, and, and we've learned that the Apple Store model doesn't really work that well, right? And and let me and let me tell you why. You're trying to read, you know, change a, a market. Like, you're right. I mean, the, the the average consumer of the cannabis industry that really consumes daily, they just want to go buy a bag of weed and go home. Like, they're like, yo, let me stop by, bag, buy some weed and get out of here because that's what they've been doing. They just go there to stop by, grab a, a sack of weed, and they're out. It's not about ordering from an iPad because that sounds too difficult to me. It's not about going and, and trying to have a clean cut, super, uh, you know, mom and pop soccer mom store. It's like, yo, like I want to go in there and feel like, yo, there might be some Cheech and Chong and some, some you know, some colorful walls. And, and maybe that's the vibe they want, you know, that stoner vibe or maybe, you know, and, and then in some towns, you're right. They may say, hey, this is this is too uh, stoner friendly, but certainly not in Los Angeles, certainly not throughout, you know, most of Orange County. I mean, I think for I don't think anywhere, because if you really think about what he's saying, they're like, there's that community, every city, every state, everywhere. There's the stoner community. Yeah. Like that really wants to go. That there really buys the weed, said. though. Yeah, exactly. They'll That's come in there like... every day because it smells like weed. It looks like yeah. it's, it's borderline guttery grime. Like, I just need to come in there and get a good bag of weed, man. I just want to pick up a good eighth. You know what? Avis, That's I got, a great point. I, that he I got. A, I got another look, question. Look, you think about chips. You think Seven Eleven. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it's convenient. Yeah, it's convenient. I'm not trying to go to pavilions to get a big bag of something. But granted, sometimes yeah. if you want something special, you do. But yeah. you know, yeah, you're right. You want some chips? You go to Seven Eleven. If I need a, a black and mild, I'm gonna go to the liquor store. Give me a little or a black little and smoke mild, shop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're gonna hit the local. I, smoke I actually shop. like what you said because those type of shops sense. are missing. Yeah, it's almost. I, and I think those would do better. Because of you're right. that's those big and those God bless those shops that are so big and the Medmans of the world that did that and the Apple Store look and feel. I think they're great to go to sometimes. It's a it's a novelty ish, mm -hmm. but it's it's nice and that's what you want to take your grandmother to, your mother to. But you're right when you said that. It's just I like clicked in my head going the majority of the buyers if they're not buying it from their local dealer are gonna go to a place that's just a, your local shop. Yeah. yeah, look the people that are buying from the local dealer it's very difficult to convert them. They've got a relationship. It's convenient for them. It's kind of like a delivery model, um, yeah. if you will. So it's not so much trying to convert that customer base, but really about servicing the customer base that's already available that wants to come into the shop. And it's not about making it gritty where it's like it's a rundown. Yeah. Battle, no. But look, keep it clean. Keep it respectful. Keep it. It comes down to your offering. Even the Apple stores, even the Medma. When you go in there, what kind of customer education do you really get? or on any of the given products the butt tender is pushing one product in one location pushing a different product in a different location pushing a different product there's no consistency of offering sure you know i, I think there's a there, there's a uh, a huge disconnect that people just missed and and i think you're right on with that and, and i, I want to get your thought avis on where we're going in cannabis after this break it's cannabis talk 101 we'll be right back yes sir Thank you.
subscribe to our weekly newsletter on our website, CannabisTalk101.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Welcome back to Cannabis Talk 101. Lay low and just hit it, folks. Check him out on IG, Club Lay Low, or check out the website, clublaylow.com. Avis is in the building. I want to thank our whole crew for making things happen around here. Marcus Mondo, Teddy the Show Dog, Jessica Daniel, Cam Connor, Beach Bar, Salar, Ali, Goldie, Brother Pitt, Mark Carnes, Chris Franquino, Jennifer, Erica, and Elvis. Now, Avis, Blue was asking you, where do you think it's going right now? I mean, you've worked in all these states. I would say, you know, all the legal ones. I mean, there's only three that doesn't have something going on right now. But where do you see this going? So right now, ultimately, it's going to end up wherever it ends up. It's going to be federally, there's going to be reform. Um, what type of reform we end up with really determines how we pivot and how we approach the next couple of years. Right now, the industry is at standstill. Right now, policy uh, politics has taken a front seat to policy. And people are too caught up in political conversations to really appreciate or even understand the policy aspects of it. See, people are talking about things without really understanding what the hell, even the first time, but they're not understanding what the second hand consequences of any of these uh, actions are. You've got associations who should be kind of uniting the voices, but they're too busy putting on trade shows. Um, you've got individuals, like you, you look at the social equity conversations, for instance. The social equity conversations are going in the complete opposite direction of where they should be going, right? You've got social equity, the idea, the theory, the concept of it, then you've got the actual application of it. Well, and, and then you have after the application, you have the actual, you know, I would say crash of it because never, none of them have done very well, right? Well, the conversation is crashing. The policy and the program itself never took off to be able to crash. Right, right. So, For social equity is what you're saying. Well, yeah. Social equity. That's like the number one hindrance of it. And here's the thing. It's not that it's hindering or blocking the general industry, which it is. It's blocking and preventing the people it's intended to benefit from even being able to participate in it because the focus of it is wrong. Think about this. If I have two licenses, here's one license that's a regular license, no contingencies, no restrictions. And I have this license, which I call a social equity license, which has a lot of contingencies and restrictions. Just by calling this license a social equity license and been attaching restrictions and contingencies to it, I've already devalued that license. Yeah. So all else being equal, which one's the more valuable license? If I'm the investor, where do I put my money? 
I'm not putting it into the social equity uh, licenses. The problem is they're treating social equity as a license type instead of treating it as a program that needs to be overlaid on a foundational set of regulations. You look at the situation in LA, for instance. I deal with a lot of investors. They want to participate. Whenever I take them a social equity deal, it's like, look, this deal is not going to make me money. In fact, I'm going to lose money. If I'm going to write a check with no expectation of having a return, I already have my nonprofit set up. I can invest through there. At least I'll get the tax write-off benefits of it. Don't present me with the business opportunity that doesn't have any hopes of returning investment dollars back to me. I don't want to see that. Right. Look, you've got CEOs, you've got operators, you've got the, per everybody's got a specific role. What people don't understand is the investor also has a specific role. They write a check. That specific role. Their act needs to return them investment on capital, 100%. capital on investment. So you've got a lot of social equity operators where it's like, well, by statute, by regulations, they have to deal with this. They have to write that check. They have to take less than 51%. They're not allowed to have a say in my company. Me as the social equity uh, partner, I have to hold the highest position within the company. Guess what the investor is going to say? Thank you. Yeah, no, thank <laughs> you. I'm good. I've got another. Why would you do that? It's like poker. Never bet what you're not prepared to lose. Right. So now you've got a social equity person where they've been built up by the regulations, by the politicians saying, look, it's all about you. If anybody wants to play, they got to go along with this. Well, guess what? People aren't going along with it. You know, and I had that conversation too. And, and I, I started to get a little bit involved in it, but I seen where it was going. Like, cause all of a sudden it became, yo, you, you know, cause I, I, and my thought was like, listen, you know, why would I cut a check right to somebody that may or may not know how to run business, right? One, two is it's a new industry. Three, it's there's just so many th st stacks of cards against you in the social equity, and not only that, just in cannabis alone, it's already a it's a dangerous sport, right? Because a lot of people don't know what the hell they're doing, and they claim to be the professional growers. And and I thought about it, and I started getting involved with some of the guys that were social equity, and I thought, oh, let me help them. And I, I I was talking to investors, and I'm looking at this whole thing, and I go, you know what? I'm backing way out of this. I'll, I'll, you know, help them from a standpoint of, you know, getting their message out, talking to them on the show. But I was trying to do it on an investment side, you know, and try and help people out. And I thought, you know what, I'm getting myself into deep water here because what, what I'm doing is, is I'm, I'm, I'm you know, and, and this is for the one uh, license, not all of them, but the one that I was dealing with, I'm dealing with somebody that knows that they're 51% that knows that 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 even if um, they tell this investor whatever they're going to tell them that they have to, to they could supersede it in court right because of the laws they know that they could screw this i mean there was just so many things that were going wrong and i'm just i tell their investor and the, the guy that was in the social equity they say I, I don't want nothing to do this anymore like you guys back out of this you should back out of this as the investor you should probably find someone else to help you find the capital because it became too too um, like you said they they put something on this license that made it not as valuable as just a regular license. And for the same amount of money, you can get a regular license pretty much and, 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 and be in control of it. So well, there, there you, was no, you know, that, that was the best way I've ever heard it been said. Well, think about this. It's really? when you go to these social equity events and stuff like that, it's an echo chamber. Yeah. Go get yours, go get yours, go get yours. It's like, okay, go get what <laughs> I tell anybody that comes to me with the, the investment deal, but specifically social equity. I'm like, look, if you were the investor, if you had all this money, would you write that check under those circumstances that you're proposing? And take take the fact that you're the one on the other side of this equation out of it. Would you write that check? No. It's like, well, if you want to write the check, what expectation do you have somebody, a random person writing that check? See, you think about this. In LA, they've been talking about the social equity program and putting it together since, what, 2018? Yeah. We're 2023. That's five years. You want a social equity program? Here's the thing. Well, if one of the requirements is you have to be low income, basically you're making less than 35,000 a year. You have to have a prior arrest and conviction. When you set up all these criteria to qualify, well, guess what? The guy that's making less than $35,000 a year doesn't have the business skills to run a business, let yeah. alone deal with the compliance and regulatory issues that come with this cannabis industry. Right. Now, if you set up and say, look, we've got 500 licenses to give out, 100 licenses are going to social equity people. Don't make it an application process with specific criteria where it's a lottery, everybody throws their name in. The whole premise of social equity is righting the wrong from the war on drugs. Taking LA alone, how many tens of thousands of people were wronged in the city of LA? Hmm. Does issuing 100 licenses to 100 individuals who, by the way, can't do anything with those licenses because of your restrictions, have you righted all the wrongs from the war on drugs? You haven't. Have you benefited the community 
You haven't. In fact, you've actually given people the false promise and the false hope that something's going to come of this. Now, yeah. So you have to treat it as a secondary program. Say, look, I got 500 licenses to give out. A hundred of them are reserved for social equity people. Now, if you're from this community or if you're directly related to somebody that was wronged by the war on drugs, whatever your criteria is that you want to put together, you need to present a business model to us. Let people come out and present business models. Right. Now you say, okay, you have a likelihood of success. Here's your license, no contingencies, do whatever it's your you license. want with it. Sell it. Yeah. Just give a normal license. I, I think right, that's, that's what I'm saying. Let, but, the, let them guys sell it. Like, why does it have to be some crazy contingency on it? That's, I like that. But here's yeah. where the community gotta, benefit comes and in. And like he said, I, like, you I know, like what you're and saying. I'm not, this isn't a blanket statement, you know, but, but, but you know, he's, he's someone that, that makes under 35000 a year and does not know how to run a business. This is his first opportunity to run a business. Now all of a sudden has a license and he wants a million dollars to go run some business that he's 51% of that he can't sell that the other person can't supersede them. And now, you know, you're, you're putting everybody in a dangerous situation, including the person that only made 35,000 a year. That's the social applicant, you know, and it's, it's a lot of set up for failure. It's unless, almost, unless they really have some education or some background to teach them this industry and then oh can i go afford a consultant like yourself to help me do all this well now we get into that side of it yeah. think about this now we got a way to say okay here's the license but how do you get people to qualify for that license or put it together look successful business people and entrepreneurs still come up short in cannabis for a reason you have to deal with and understand complex regulations compliance issues fundraising how many average people do you know that can raise a million dollars five million dollars two million dollars and be able to administer that kind of a budget it sure. takes skills. Sure. So now we look at it. It's like, okay, I've identified the group. What people are missing is this. Who was responsible for the war on drugs? It was government. Yeah. That's a perfect example. The war on drugs is a perfect example of too much government. Government sticking their nose where they have no business. This isn't even, it shouldn't be a federal issue. But government was the one responsible for war on drugs. Why are individuals or businesses responsible for making that right? In New York, the uh, multi-state operators, they got to kick in $20 million into an equity fund. By statute, they got to provide 70% of their shelf space to social equity uh, license holders. Where now you got government interfering with free market dynamics. That's you crazy. Think you're, you really think you're going to be able to drive anything? You're not. You're, you're creating a situation for failure. Now we get to the education. How do you get the social equity person educated? You got community colleges. We've had this program in LA from 2018. That's four years. People get a bachelor's degree in four years. Right. How many? How much does it cost for a couple of units of taking an accounting class? If you qualify those people saying, okay, look, we are where we're at, right? There's no shame in not knowing what you don't know. But if we really want you to succeed, here's your license. It's reserved for you. Complete a course in business management. Complete a course in accounting. Complete a course in any of the relevant Ooh. areas. I like this. You that doesn't cost there. money. <laughs> Community college, a couple of units is what? A couple hundred bucks? Yeah. You've got the funding for it in the budget. You've allocated money for it. Where's that money going currently? Enforcement. Are they enforcement? They're not enforcing. And it's helping the community because you're teaching them and they're learning something. So exactly. it's giving them the, it's, it's giving them what you're saying. Does that's it really help a, the community? Yes, it does. By doing this extra little thing that's not even that much big and extra. Exactly. But who's actually doing that? It's the government. That's how you get the government to right their wrongs. They cause the wrong. They're, call, they're creating the right. It's a community college. There should be zero issues with that person being able to go. Now, here's the other side of it. If you are the social equity candidate, if you do want to get into this business, if we are talking about generating legacy wealth and all that stuff, one, two years of taking business courses and management courses and accounting courses, it's a very small price to pay, especially because afterwards, now you're self-sufficient, you're self-reliant. You're not waiting, you're not looking for a government to say, here's a license, go do whatever you want to do with it. By the way, deal with all these contingencies that I'm putting in place. Now, the other aspect of that is, if you can set up a successful business uh, with the social equity person, you're generating all these tax dollars. You're generating hundreds of millions and billions. Reinvest into that community. Reinvest into learning centers into that community. Take that funding and make it available to additional people from that community to Big go time. to the community college and get those business degrees. Social Avis equity for mayor, huh? Is Man, that what I like it. Social <laughs> equity should not start and stop with license ownership. In fact, license ownership is probably one of the worst places you can be in this space. You can go from being, I know people that have gone from being butt tenders to owning their dispensary in four or five years. You can, you might want to be a manager in a dispensary. You might even want, you don't even want to have anything to do with the cannabis industry, but you were wrong from the uh, war on drugs. 
take the opportunity, the tax dollars generated, government paying for it. And I'm not talking about government assessing an additional tax for it. Taking the tax dollars that you're already generating in the name of equity and actually applying it to equity. But too many people are hyper-focused on license ownership. If you don't have a license, you're not part of the cannabis industry. Of course you are. Oh, wow. Now, how do you see this working with all the states that you've been doing? You started off in Massachusetts. You have 100 plus, let alone in Los Angeles and California, excuse me. Like, when I see the different states and talk to different people in this industry, they go, oh, I really like this, what this state's doing, what that state's doing. You're so well-versed in how you're speaking. Are you able to verse something where you're like, if we use this from New Mexico, that from California, this from Oklahoma, like this can break down a great solution a standard, a standard for what model. we need to have because obviously we don't have it. It's not federally legal and it's going to be so complicated to get there. But are you on that path of being able to articulate something like that yet? Yeah. So right now the situation you have is you have to look at every state as the their facilities. They're not businesses. When you look at a cultivation facility, it's a facility. When you look at a manufacturing facility, it's a facility. What you manufacture becomes secondary. So look at the facilities and the licenses that are attached to it as the infrastructure. Now, if you're looking to be a multi-state operators person, I think a lot of this is going to go via the CPG route. Look at Johnson & Johnson. Look at Nestle. Nestle has products and interest if everything from ice cream to dog food to all this stuff. Their facilities allow them to manufacture that given product. The product becomes secondary. There might be a company they own 10%. In. There might be a company that they own 90%. And ultimately, they're getting paid to manufacture and distribute that product. When you look at the delivery licenses, delivery licenses, you can do so many different things. We could, you can be an Amazon, right? If you've got five locations in LA, one central location and a couple of spokes, you can cover the entire city of LA within a 30-minute driving uh, time. So now you can say, okay, that's one business model. Another business model is I can be a subscription model. I can come out with specific products and stuff. My delivery license allows me to go B to C and deliver it to that person once a month, once every 30 days, once every 60 days. So the way I look at the industry overall is you've got these multi-state operators. They got these facilities set up, be it manufacturing, be it cultivation, all this other stuff, but they don't have anything to overlay on. The facilities are the machine. They don't have anything to feed the machine. And that's where they're coming up short. And they're hoping for federal uh, reform yeah. for them to expand. But it's like, like I said before, you can't dominate a closed market. How are you dominating an open market? You're not. So the way I see it now moving forward in the next couple of years, there's going to be consolidation. But the thing with the investors is they want something different. Long gone are the days of if you build it, they will come and we'll be millionaires overnight. It's like, okay, here's a facility. It's undervalued. It's underused. What are you going to do with it that this other company's not doing with it? And it's being able to consolidate the facilities. Any state that you've got a license in, you can participate in, right? So now when you think about it like that, if I have licenses in five states and I have this product I'm manufacturing, guess what? I'm in five states with my one product. If I can get 100 people and I can take them to market in five different states, 90 of them might not make it. 10 of them will. And I'm in those markets. So now it's that slowly build up where everybody's got to think about more than just, oh, I'm going to be vertically integrated. I'm going to dominate whatever market I'm in. Here's what people don't understand about vertical integration. Vertical integration, you're basically taking several different activities, consolidating them in-house. The problem that the industry is having is you have to lead with one sector. So for instance, if I'm a retailer that's vertically integrated, my cultivation is a department within my overall facility to supply myself with raw flour to sell at my retail location. Same with my manufacturing. My manufacturing allows me to manufacture different products I can sell as a retailer. That's me being a retail dominant, vertically integrated company. I might be a manufacturer. If I'm a manufacturer, I'm manufacturing and I'm distributing to all these shops. Retail is just a department within my company to, for me to get retail pricing on something that I'm otherwise selling for wholesale. Sure. So it's these different tweaks to their business models that people have to start understanding. Uh, everything is nice and rosy on an Excel spreadsheet, but you have to be able to apply it in a practicable way to- In real life. Yeah. Right, and look, there's different business cultures. The East Coast has a different cannabis industry culture than the West Coast has, even in California. 100%. Northern California is very different than Southern California. It's very all about- Very so, yeah. Yeah, look, if you can serve people, people will serve you. If I can come in and say, look, I don't need to dominate, all. I don't need to be successful at the cost of all you guys failing. Sure. But I can be a platform that gives you guys the opportunity and just be able to consolidate it like that. Yeah. So you had a moment where it was all kumbaya in the industry. 
around 2017-18 with the public companies and the reverse RTOs. Everybody started going into it. Well, it's all about me. It's all about I'm the biggest. I'm the baddest. I got the best growers in the world. Now you're getting to a point where it's like, look, dude, it's got to be about a lot more than that. It's a big industry. Yeah, and the political conversation has gotten so loud where when you go swing to one extreme, it's going to revert back to the mean or swing the other way. And I think that's slowly where we're getting to. And people are starting to they're starting to build the courage to be able to actually speak out about it. And it's like, look, just because you're against social equity doesn't mean you're against social equity. You're against the current way of doing it. There's something to be said about if something's being done and it's being done wrong and you've got four years of history to show that that's the wrong way to approach it, you shouldn't be doubling and tripling down on what's not working. Right. Think about it. it look, it's if I'm the person responsible for it and I've gone about it the wrong way, it shouldn't, if I'm, if my heart's in the right place and I really want to right the wrong from the war on drugs, I want to use my opportunity in the cannabis space to create jobs, create revenues, create opportunities for people. It shouldn't be a personal attack on me if I came up short. Sure. But if you've got an idea that works, it's like, look, okay, ultimately, who are we trying to benefit? Yeah. You have to, any policy decision, you have to think about the consequences. <laughs> there are, there are no solutions. It's all trade-offs. If I'm trading off this, what am I getting in return? What are the potential second and third hand consequences of these actions? And right now, nobody's being held responsible for anything. I I, th I think too. There's a lot of like you know, just Heavy. just a lot of private dancers, man. I mean, a lot of people are dancing around uh, the reality. I think of what's really happening. I think there's a lot of people that owe a lot of people money right now. Balloon payments are starting to come in, and they've made a lot of promises, a lot of promises that I don't think people could keep up with. Because again, like you said, you know, on a spreadsheet, it, it it's easy to make it look good, right? But in in real life. It hasn't been real life. Like they, they've been out here, you know, living these different lifestyles. And instead of building foundations, they've been, you know, trying to build a facade. And, and, and it's unfortunate because a lot of people are going to get hurt from this. A lot of people already have been. You're starting to see some of these major companies trying to wiggle out and some of these smaller companies, you know, phasing out because they're some of these grows up in the up and down in the hills and all this stuff that, that aren't paying back their investors that aren't. You got the, the stores that aren't paying back the, the growers. You got the growers that aren't paying back the, 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 the packaging. Company. I mean, there, there's so many, you know, flaws. And I and I think that we're going to go ahead and and level through a lot of these people we're going to find out you know who's going to be here and that's why i said when you first came in i mean you've been here for so long you know a lot of i've been here a long time too and i sit here and i, I get to see you know all these people that have you know came on this platform and or just been in in the industry that never even made it to this platform that have had such a big head about how awesome they're going to do and what they're they're doing and then where are they at now uh, you know, there and there's very there's very few of us that are still here. And the personal responsibility also goes into it. A lot of people, for them, it's a lifestyle more than it is running a business. Sure. When you look at when you log in at social media any time of day, that person's on there and they're having these conversations. I'm like, Jesus Christ, where the hell do you have the time to do all that and also claim that you're running a business? Yeah. Right. You don't. The yeah. problem with social media is the world as big as it is. Yeah. Social media has made it inc incredibly small. Yeah. So it's kind of like the illusion of being a big fish in a small pond where once you step out of that social media world, you really are a small fish in a very, very, very big pond. Very, very. And there's got to also be a conversation about personal responsibility. When I'll go back to the associations, right? You go to, and I stopped going to someone, but like when you go to a social equity get together or a women and minorities get together, if you're trying to benefit that group to enter the industry, Provide teachings, provide education, provide lessons, provide how-tos. Don't spend two, three hours a day, two days. These people will spend really good money to attend. Don't spend the entire time saying, you know what? The war on drugs, this. It's like, okay, we get it. The war on drugs happened. The war on drugs was wrong. How do we move forward from that? What is the opportunity the to real? move forward from that? See, I, I always say that, look, activism is great at identifying a problem. But at some point, activism needs to get out of the way for the solutions to be able to be implemented. Very seldom does an activistic mind be is able to contribute to the solution. Because look, if you're a career activist, lifetime activist, and it, there's a place and time for that, you've identified the problem. But just like we're talking about social equity, people that don't have the skills to run the business, the activists don't have the practical knowledge of finance and business and that to be able to develop regulations to be able to apply them to the industry. Sure. So they think they're providing protections. Regulations never protect, never, never favor the small guy. 
Right. So when you've got people talking about how government this, government that, and by the way, government, we need more regulations. You're hurting yourself. You're shooting yourself in the foot. The more regulations there are, the more better funded people there are to hire people like me to be able to work around those regulations. Like I said earlier, laws and regulations are meant for the obedience of fools and guidance for the wise. Yeah. Don't get caught into that trap. I get it. Appreciate. Look, everybody, this industry, no matter what you want to talk about, say about like capitalism, stuff like that, this industry, the social equity programs are dependent on capitalism. Everybody's dependent on capitalism to address this problem. Yet everybody, nobody wants to understand capitalism and participate in capitalism. You can't take a socialistic view and expect to capitalism and expect capitalism to work, to work. in your favor to win. Wow. Well said. <laughs> Dude, you're just so much knowledge. I love this. This yeah. has been so amazing to hear you speak like this. I'm in awe. I'm just listening like, it's wow. Great. Yeah. I almost just want to keep going. It's <laughs> I want to ask another question and go like, oh my God, we want to do the high five though with you just because we like to have fun, Avis, with everybody that comes on the show. And as you're the CEO of Your Name Backwards, Siva. <laughs> question number one with you, Avis. How old are you the first time you smoked cannabis and where'd you get it from? 26, 25 or 26. I grew it. And where at? Oh, you grew, it. grew it? Yeah, so... I was the guy that never smoked in high school or any of that stuff, college, didn't do it. Um, when I got into this industry, it was part opportunity, part medical uh, reasons for it. I started exploring it. To get into the industry, I knew I had to understand it from the ground up, which was the cultivation side of it. And then once I started, it's like, you got to you gotta know what it tastes like. You got to know what it feels like. And you got to do this stuff. So first time I smoked it, knocked out like there was no, no tomorrow. I'll put it like this. I was the guy in high school that would get high off of secondhand smoke. Yeah. So slept it off a couple of times, but then I was just bullheaded and persistent and it was helping me with the medical stuff. So where did you grow up? What area? LA. Going oh, LA. Not oh, I grew up in the Valley. Yeah. Ah, I, thanks for bringing Rafi's. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. yeah next time <laughs> <laughs> we had it the other day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Question number two of the high five. What is your favorite way to use or smoke cannabis? Probably vape for the convenience of it. Just a vape. Uh, anyone particular? Nothing particular. As far as the favorite the favorite effects of I I love the flower. Yeah. The fa favorite way to smoke it, all things being equal, convenience factor vape. Yeah. Just to keep it easy. Nice, easy. Oil sauces. Less. Yeah, smoking all that good stuff. Question number three of the high five, Avis. Where is the craziest place you ever use or smoked cannabis? It would have to be at a trade show, and not the fact that it was at a trade show. The fact that. There were cops and fire trucks and everybody out there literally parked out in front. Wow. Yeah. That's funny. We were in Texas at a trade show and they were smoking right there. Remember in the lobby? That's funny you say that. The cops I get it. Yeah, yeah, I get it. That's fun. I get it. I, I think it was, you know, it was funny because I, I remember we were doing one and we were doing a cannabis uh, convention or show and right next door, they had a whole police show going on at the same time. And I was just like, oh, man, you know. <laughs> We're like in a volleyball and tournament the, the and another one. Like, like there's like just drones of cops everywhere and everything else. And 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 like you know they were detectives. Everything there's this whole, and we're right next door. And I'm just like, oh, this is perfect timing. <laughs> Question number four of the high five. What is your go-to munchie after you get high? Gummies. Gummies. Oh, I got a sweet tooth. So which one? What sweet, kind? Gummies. You like the sour? Or just regular. Like the sour, bear. you can't have too much. The regular ones, but especially the past year or two, they've been coming out the gummies with the tahini, tahini, oh, tahini. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> now you made my mouth water instantly yeah, right when you said that. I need to go get some. Can we get some tahini gummies, please? <laughs> Question number five of the high five, Avis. If you could smoke cannabis with anyone, dead, dead or, or alive, alive, who would it be and why? Ah, that's a good one. Probably Mike Tyson. Iron nice. Mike. Huh? Iron Mike. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Tyson. Tyson. <laughs> Is there yeah, a certain reason why Mike? I mean, yeah, no, I met him in 2015. Yeah, we were working in Nevada project. Met with him, and I grew up a fight fan. I've been in martial arts and all that stuff. And Mike was always my goat of all fighters and stuff. So it was pretty cool. But with him, the stories you would probably hear being high with him. Yeah. 
You got, oh, yeah. Joe's got a story with him. I got plenty of story. Yeah, that's funny. He's just a fun dude. He's just, you know. His boxers. Yeah, exactly. It's Answered funny. The door hey, in his it's underwear. great that you get to hear that story both sides <laughs> from me and Tattoo sharing it, right? It's just uh, fun. Well, is there anything else that we you want to bring up and talk about? Because we can still go on state to state and talk about different rules and regulations <laughs> all day. This could awesome. be a six-hour fucking podcast, in my opinion, with you. <laughs> but uh, we're wrapping up about an hour of some greatness from you. Your knowledge is yeah, unbelievable. Man. Everything you're doing is fantastic. Now I see why, you know, we had the guys in here going, oh, my God, that's the guy I want to get speaking to my kids and students. You have a lot of knowledge, man. Anything else you want to bring up before we let you go? Yeah, I think... No matter who you are, which part of the cannabis ecosystem industry you're in, don't look at it as daunting. Don't look at it as being too big. Everybody's a stakeholder from the customer to the license holder. Understand what your role is in the overall space and the overall supply chain, the overall ecosystem, and use that opportunity to maximize your involvement and what you're in it for, for personal reasons. Don't, don't compare yourself to the license holders. Just... The most successful people in the space are the people that take what they do, the knowledge that they have, and they apply it to this industry. The industry is no different than any other industry. It's got the same needs and wants as any other industry. Understand your place in it and be able to maximize it like that. Don't get caught up in the wrong things. Yeah. Well, there it is, guys. It's Cannabis Talk 101. And remember this. If no one else loves you, we do. Thank you for listening to Cannabis Talk 101 with Blue and Joe Grande the world's number one source for everything cannabis. And make sure you like, follow, and subscribe to Cannabis Talk 101 now. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.